Xavier, and welcome to the Oxano Podcast. Oxano is a worship service for college students and young adults that takes place weekly during the school year at Dawson Family of Faith. If you're ever in Birmingham, Alabama on a Tuesday night, we hope you'll join us as we worship through song, prayer, and the Word. Thanks for listening. Scripture reading tonight is in Matthew 9, 35-38. It says, And Jesus went out through all the cities and villages, teaching in the synagogues, and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were, they were harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. This is the word of the Lord. Well, I'll pick up where Kara said earlier. It's good to be back with everybody this week uh, after being away for from this service for a couple of weeks. You know, we had Pig Jig a couple of weeks ago. That was a hoot and hollering good time, y'all. Ton of fun, square dancing, most beautiful night of weather we've had. I mean, it was so much fun to be able to do that with you all. And I trust that y'all had a good Thanksgiving break, safe travels, uh, a good mix of eventful, but hopefully the good kind of eventful, right? And that the bad was uneventful for you as you all made your way back. But as we come together tonight, we only have two more of these this semester, y'all. It's crazy. It has evaporated before us. We are concluding our series every, our missions emphasis here in the fall semester as we are looking at the scriptures and we are seeing God's heart for people from every tribe, nation, tongue, and people gathered around the throne. And so the first week in this series, we said we need to begin with the end in mind. And so we saw ahead of where all of humanity is going and how we are going to be around the throne with people from every tribe, nation, and tongue, and people. And then we were able to look, okay, well, how do we get from here to there? Was we need to go in the greats, in the great commission, and with the great commandment to go to make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit teaching them to obey all that I've commanded to you. And behold, I'm with you always, even till the end of the age. And then the great commandment that you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. And as we come to the end of our series tonight, we're gonna be looking at a passage and then a little bit after for what Austin read for us in the book of Matthew. And you guys, as you're all following along tonight, you're gonna need one of these bad boys right here. Uh, You're going to need one of these listening outlines, and you should have gotten one of these when you came in. Get a pen in hand, and let's get ready to dive in. So as we're going to be picking up, I'm going to reread for us what Austin just shared. So Jesus, he went throughout all the cities and villages, and he was teaching in their synagogues, and he was proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. And when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them. Why? Because they were harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. And then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers, they're few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. From this first portion of scripture, there are just three things that I want us to be able to see. The first is this, you can write it in. The king's message is spread through word and deed. We see that in verse 35, do we not? That Jesus, he was going about itinerant minister and he was teaching in the synagogues. He was proclaiming the gospel 
of the kingdom, and he was healing diseases and every affliction, word and deed, the things that he was saying and the things that he were doing coming together. You see, a lot of people, they like to try to split hairs and they really like to emphasize, okay, we're gonna go over here and we're just gonna focus on physical needs. Or we have some over here that are just gonna be like, no, we're just gonna be going over here and focusing on spiritual needs. We don't need an either or approach, but rather we need a both and. That we must have consistent actions with the words that we're sharing. So preach the gospel and let our love and our care and our concern for the people be consistent with the gospel message that we're sharing. So yes, give people a meal at Thanksgiving and at Christmas time. Give them a meal and tell them about the bread of life. Give people a cool cup of water and tell them about the living water. Help to repair homes after disaster relief and be able to tell folks about the sure dwelling place that we have for those who are in Christ. That it's not either or, but it's both and. That we go to the hungry and we help to feed and then we tell them about something that truly satisfies. We go to the thirsty and we give that which will quench their thirst and we tell them what will satisfy. We go to those who are without homes and we help to provide and we tell them about the home that we have in Christ. So we give them all of these things. But where does this come from, this working together of word and deed? What we see in verse 36 is the next thing to write in. The king's heart is one of compassion. Now this word compassion, no single English word seems to capture all of the sentiment that's behind it. That really as we try to unpack what this word means, it's, it's a very visceral word. And it's very like bodily, very fleshy. And saying that his heart was going out to him, that he felt it in his gut, he was moved in his gut. That when you look at the Greek word, and you know, don't, you don't just go throwing Greek words around all the time, but it's splonizomai. And I say that because that's where we get spleen from. Like that he's moved to his innards, right? That he feels this on a deep level. And his heart is going out to him. He has compassion on these people. And why? It's because they were helpless and harassed. They were like sheep without a shepherd. And this compassion that Jesus has for these people, it's, it's not like compassion today. I think part of it is just because we're so busy and we're so easily distracted and because we move so fast from one thing to the other. But like, especially on the day where we just scroll through on our phones and where we're seeing so much bad that's happening all the time, we see these natural disasters, these international uh, conflicts, things that are happening. And maybe for a certain moment, we have compassion and we're like, oh yeah, well, my, my hearts and my thoughts and prayers go out with those people, but then we just move on to the next thing. That the compassion that Christ has is not so fickle or fleeting, but it compels him to action. And what is it that in response to this, that he sees all of us having the king, his heart of one of compassion, because the sheep were like, a, they were like sheep without a shepherd, they were prone to attack. They would wander off. They didn't have direction or care. And so in response to this, we see that the king's call is to join in the kingdom work. The king's call is to join in the kingdom work because, y'all, there is a great need. He looks out and he starts to mix metaphors a little bit because he refers to them 
as a sheepfold, and then he refers to them as a harvest. And he's looking out over all the tremendous need, the multitude that was there and that it would extend on out from there. And he said, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers, they're few. That there's this discrepancy between the thing that was in front of them and the number of people that they had to attack it. Right? I mean, y'all probably feel a little bit of that right now, right? That you are staring down the syllabus. You're starting to see all of the things that have still got you, that have not been done yet, that have got to be done before a certain cutoff, right? Or maybe it's the laundry basket, right? That's going and it just seems to be getting higher and higher. Hey, don't turn those heads and look at people, right? That we're going over, you see that laundry basket piling higher and higher and that there's gonna be a threshold where you have got to do it. But you're like, where is the time of the day to be able to do something like this? That the task before me, whether it's school, whether it's things in life, or whether you're thinking about your whole degree program, this, that, or the other, I'm not going to be able to take that. There is a discrepancy between the task that I'm called to and my ability to do it or the number of people that are helping me to do this. But Jesus, in this moment, I find it really interesting because this is the same miracle-working Jesus that we've seen in the Gospels and that if we were to read along in Matthew, coming up all the way here to Matthew chapter 9, we could expect God to snap his fingers and all of the harvest to be able to come in. Like this is the one who started dividing bread and fish and distributing it out to people. Miraculous provision. This is the one who walks on water. This is the one who raises the dead. This is the one who helps the blind to see, the lame to walk, the deaf to hear. And in response, like I would expect Jesus to say, the harvest is plentiful and the laborers are few. So let me do it. But what does Jesus say? Therefore, pray to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers for the harvest. He didn't have to choose to do it this way. He was powerful enough to be able to do it without us. But in his wisdom and in his sovereignty and in his good pleasure, he has seen fit to include and to use us as a part of bringing in the harvest. And so he says, pray to the Lord of the harvest to send out labor, spirit-empowered people going with the presence of Christ to be able to bring in the harvest. So the first thing we gotta be able to do is we gotta pray. That sometimes I talk with people and they're like, gosh, I just don't know what to pray for. I feel like my prayers aren't getting past the ceiling tiles in my dorm room. I don't know. I'm just kind of wandering. I'm meandering through in prayer. The Lord's prayer in this place is a great place to be able to start and to sync up your prayers with the very words of Christ for us that he gives us to pray. Heavenly Father, please raise up laborers to go out into the harvest fields of the nations. And would you bring in, would you bind together, would you save? That is, we're praying these things before God. We have a God who wants to include us in his kingdom work. And we can be a part, we've talked about it a few weeks ago that there are three options before us. 
in this worldwide time-spanning missions endeavor that we can go, that we can send, or that we can disobey. And that as we go, as we send, or as we disobey, we can do a lot in the sending with our prayers. And we can ask the Lord to raise up people to be able to go and to take the name of Jesus to places where it is not currently known. And so as we're talking a little bit about sin, well, let's talk about those who actually go. And that's where we pick up in the next verses. We shift over into chapter 10, verses one through four. Pick up with me. And he, Jesus, he called to him his 12 disciples. And he gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal every disease and every affliction. And the names of the 12 apostles are these. First, Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew, his brother. James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother. Philip and Bartholomew, Thomas and Matthew, the tax collector. James, the son of Alphaeus and Thaddeus. Simon the Zealot and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. There are three things that I want us to be able to see from this section right here. The first is this, that the king's work is not meant to be done apart from him. Because you know what? They're doing? All of these people are brought into proximity and into relationship with Jesus. That this is not something that they could have done under their own, something they could have done under their own volition or their own willingness or their own power or their own gifting. But rather what they had to be able to do was they had to be called to Jesus and sent out by him, empowered for service, going in his name. He gave them authority that they did not have on their own. Authority to push back darkness and diseases at the cutting edge of the kingdom. They can't do it apart from him. And not just apart from him, but write it in. The king's work is not meant to be done alone. The king's work is not meant to be done alone. You see, when you go through and when you look, a lot of times, if y'all are like me and you're like, 12 disciples, got that, know that, cool, oh, forgot about Thaddeus, you know, all that kind of stuff, good to know. We're going through and you're looking at this. When you look at it in English, even when you look at it in Greek, that they are all mentioned in pairs. That we're going through, and this is significant for us because we see Jesus and his MO and how he is sending out people to do ministry, that he is sending In Luke chapter 10, the 72 disciples, the kind of bigger crew that was with him and following him, he sent them out two by two. That we see two disciples going to prepare the room for his triumphal entry. That he would commission, he would send through the church in the book of Acts, Paul and Barnabas, then Paul and Silas. That we see these dynamic duos going out. And y'all, it goes, it's just, we can't do this apart from Jesus. We can't do this apart from the body. And that a lot of times we think that this calling that we have, this mission that is before us to be able to fulfill, that, oh, it's all on me. That this is something that I am meant to do, just me. But as we're going together, this is not just something for just us to do solo. This is not a a lone ranger mentality. It doesn't have any place here. But rather, we can do this work together. So for us, and bringing it home to where you are, If you're thinking about doing a mission trip this upcoming summer, if you're thinking about leveraging your breaks for being able to go and to take the name of Jesus to the nations, find a friend to go with you. Start to talk about what the Lord is placing upon your heart and see if it is resonating with someone else that you're close to. And maybe the the Lord might be calling the two of you together to be able to go so that you can be a source of mutual encouragement, of challenge, 
you can partner in prayer, hold each other accountable, and be in close fellowship in places where it might be tremendously lonely and dark. That this is not something that you have to do alone or on your own. There's sometimes that we just feel that we have to do these things by ourselves. And like there are certain tasks where I'm just, I just got to do it. For me, I don't know if it's like for you guys, it's bringing groceries in. Okay, you know what I'm talking about? Like with the guy, no, I got this, y'all. I'm bringing the groceries in and I'm going to try, I'm going to attempt to loop my hands up to my elbows, up through on both sides so that I can bring the entire load of groceries in. But there are certain things that we've just got, we feel compelled to do on our own. And y'all, it's kind of one of those things like uh, the guy who free soloed El Capitan, y'all seen that? I mean, it's incredible. I watched the National Geographic special on it and I was like, sweating on the edge of my seat like I was doing the football game this weekend. And I was just like, is he going to make, oh my goodness gracious. Like why on earth would anybody do that? And for him, just being able to go and to be able to summit this mountain to show that it is within the realm of human possibility. And that when you dedicate yourself and when you pursue one thing, then you can do this. And like, yeah, that's fine, good and dandy and all. But the calling that we have is not that. It is not impressive for you to go and to free solo the Christian mission. It is not for you to be puffed up with pride so that other people can make National Geographic specials about you. Not take anything away from what the brother did, but that is not our calling. That is not our pursuit. It's his kingdom is our pursuit. And so pride has no place in us being able to go and to try to fulfill this mission. We need each other to be able to go and to accomplish this by the power of the Spirit. With Jesus in the body, we can join in his work and we can do it regardless of our background. Write it in. The king's work is not limited by the worker's backgrounds. Oh, I love this. This is a diverse assortment of folks right here. A group of fishermen, tax collectors, and skilled workers from different backgrounds, from different walks of life, from different age groups. But deeper than any of those things that divided them, the thing that held them in common was this. They were disciples of Jesus. They were followers of Christ. You see, God, he can use anyone from any background. And some of y'all are like, yeah, but not me. And there could be a long list of things of why you think that you are not able, you are not equipped to be able to go and to help fulfill the mission? Oh, well, I'm not from this or that place, or oh, I don't have this or that experience or education. Oh, I have this in my past, either that I did or that was done to me. That the Lord can use anyone to be able to accomplish his purposes. He is not limited by your own personal experience or lack thereof. He can use anyone. And then when he does, he gives instructions on how they are going to be used. We go to this next and last section in Matthew chapter 10, verses 5 through 15. I'm going to go ahead and set up here at the very beginning that this was a particular preaching mission that he was sending these disciples on. And so there are some things that we go in here and we look at and we're like, okay, well, one-to-one, I've got to take this and this is how it has to be done. No, we see it being done differently 
in subsequent places. But when we look at Jesus's commission to this group for this targeted time, there are some things that we can learn and there are some things that we can pull out. Let's consider the passage and learn these four things. These 12 Jesus sent out instructing them, go nowhere among the Gentiles and enter no town of the Samaritans, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel and proclaim as you go saying, the kingdom of heaven, it's at hand. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the lepers, cast out demons. You receive without paying, now give without pay. Acquire no gold or silver or copper for your belts, no bag for your journey, or two tunics or sandals or a staff, for the laborer deserves his food. And whatever town or village you enter, find out who is worthy in it and stay there until you depart. And as you enter the house, greet it. And if the house is worthy, let your peace come upon it. But if it's not worthy, let your peace return to you. And if anyone will not receive you or listen to your words, shake off the dust from your feet when you leave that house or town. Truly I say to you, it will be more bearable on the day of judgment for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah than for that town. So very specific instance, specific mission, targeted for the lost sheep of the house of Israel, for these 12. But what are the four things that we can pull out that we can see that the Lord does consistently through the various calls and commissions? Things that are helpful for us to see. The first is this, focus on a people or group. Focus on a people or group. You know, it's really interesting, like when Jesus says, go to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Don't go to the Gentiles. Don't go to the Samaritans. And it's not because he didn't like the Gentiles or the Samaritans. You look at the Gospels and he is ministering all up in their business. That he is going out of his way to get into Samaria. That he is ruffling feathers saying that the kingdom of God is for the Gentiles too. But he's saying for this mission, targeting the lost sheep of the house of Israel. It's kind of reminiscent of Paul in Romans chapter 1, verse 16, right? That some of y'all might have memorized. For I'm not ashamed of the gospel. For it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. To the Jew first and also to the Gentile. That we see right here, it's not exclusion, but strategy. It's what is happening sequentially. So it can be beneficial for us to have a target when we are going out. And this is one of those things that we can see. College students worldwide are a tremendous mission field here in the States and internationally. That is one of those reasons why that Pastor David, when he got here about four years ago, he said, we are this close to Sanford, UAB, Birmingham Southern, Jeff State, Montevallo, and for us to not be meaningfully ministering to college students, we are not loving our neighbors well. And there is such a huge mission field just within this 20-mile radius that we find ourselves here in the metro Birmingham area. But you look nationally, like the church plants that Dawson has, we partner with one in Fort Collins, Colorado, close to Colorado State University. Why? Because the college campuses are a huge mission field that a lot of times it's in the college campuses that the nations are coming to us that when we have international students on our campuses that we're not having to wait to go to them they've already come here and how can we rub shoulders with them how can we befriend them how can we get to know them and to be able to hear their story their life experience see where they're coming from and to share with them the hope of the gospel that we have it's the reason why in Southern Baptist Life, the North American Mission Board and their send cities, the strategic large cities that they have identified all across the continent. 
to be able to say, these are the senses, these are places where we are strategically focusing on for the spread of the gospel, that college campuses all lumped together are the last one. It's beneficial to be able to have a target. Or it could be Somalis. Or it could be the Maldivians. It could be people from Afghanistan. It could be an unreached people group like what we were talking about almost a month ago now. That it is beneficial to be able to have a target, a focus of people that we are burdened for. Yes, we want to love and share with the people that are in front of us. But who are you burdened for? Like, who would you go out of your way to be able to share with, to set aside time to be able to get to know, to befriend, and to share the hope that you have? And then, aside from focusing on a people or a group, the next thing we do is that we share through word and deed. We take a a step from our Savior's playbook that we proclaim and heal, that we care about the soul and the body. We care about eternal and temporal needs. We focus on the needs of others more so than our own needs. And that leads us to the third thing, that we travel light and we trust God's provision. We trust that God will provide. You see, the disciples right here are starting to put into practice the teachings of Jesus a few chapters earlier in Matthew chapter six, when he said, don't be anxious about anything. Don't worry about what you're gonna eat. Don't worry about what you're gonna wear. That the fields are clothed with spoon, the birds are fed with food. Your heavenly father knows your needs. But he's saying for this particular mission that you don't need to be weighed down, that you can depend on God because we have a God who uses means. He uses people. And we have a God who might use some of you as a means to be able to provide for people on mission. You might help or be helped yourself as they seek out folks. That a lot of times, it's one of the reasons I love, like with our Southern Baptist Convention, that a lot, our missionaries do not have to come home and raise money to be able to go back to the field. That through our cooperative efforts, that we and our giving are able to send and support ongoing mission activity for people as they're over there, as they are making the name of Jesus known here, there, and everywhere. And as we're going through, and as we are sending, and as we are helping others, as we are giving, God uses our means to be able to do that so that they don't have to focus so much on the things that they're going to eat or the things that they're going to wear or how they're going to even pay for those but that we are able to remove those distractions. We're able to remove those hindrances. We are able to remove those obstacles or the things that would divert their mission so that they can continue spreading the hope of Christ. That for us, being able to go and be able to travel light and to trust God's provision, God will use us to be able to help meet some of those needs as people, and this is the last thing, as people find people peace. Find people of peace. I find it really interesting right here. It's a mission strategy that has been taken from this passage and been put other places. It's finding people of peace. That a lot of times we get really antsy and anxious when we start talking about sharing our faith, especially in hard to reach places. But what we're going through and what we're doing is through other places we can see that we're scattering seed indiscriminately. We're just sowing the word of God. We're just spreading it around. 
Or as Paul in one of his letters would say, that we are everywhere the aroma of Christ, the smell of Christ. And we can't control how others smell or how they will interpret if we smell good or not, right? Because Paul says this, that our same scent for one person could be the scent of death and to another, the scent leading to life. We can't control how people respond to the gospel message. But what we can control is making sure that they hear it. And as we're going through and as we are sharing this message widely, we can find people of peace. As you're on the front lines, as you can see and sense where God might already be working in people. So if you're going through on your college campus, if you're going through over your break in a hard to reach place and you are sharing the gospel, It's not like the first person that you see, you've just got to stick with that person the whole time. And regardless of how they're responding or how many obstacles or how many affronts they're putting up or they just wall you off, that you've got to go and pursue that, that, that person. Yeah. Find a person of peace. Rather than trying to kickstart something on our own, let's try to be discerning and sense where God might be moving. And let's join join him in his work and the things that he's already doing. And one of the things I love, uh, there's a pastor over in Georgia. Um, uh, some of our folks here are actually, uh, that's their home church uh, with James Merritt. And James Merritt, uh, I mean, he is just probably the biggest soul winner that I have ever come across. And one of the things that I've just found so encouraging and challenging is for him, one of the things that he does to try to be able to see and sense if God might be working in someone's life is he'll do it at mealtimes when he goes out to eat. And if a waiter or waitress comes up and he'll say, hey, we're about to pray for our food and give thanks to the Lord, um, but we just wonder if there's anything that we can pray for for you. And, you know, sometimes the waiters or the waitresses will be like, oh, no, I'm good. No, thank you. Oh, that's fine. Oh, well, this person is sick in my family. I'd appreciate prayers for that. But he says that sometimes when he does that, that, People come unglued at the dinner table. And it's a way for him to be able to see God is at work in this person. And I'm going to partner together with the Holy Spirit. And I'm going to join him in where he's working. And so for us to be able to not just to feel the, the force of having to try to kickstart something or that salvation is on us. No, salvation is of the Lord. And we are just going to see and try to sense where he's moving and join in with his work there in that place. You know, as, as we go through, we have a God who works in people. We have a God who calls. He calls to repentance and faith. It's the universal call, the call to repent, to turn from your sin, and the call to believe, to have faith, to trust in Christ, to hang all of your hopes on him, to stop pursuing dead-end ways of living and to find the abundant life of the kingdom that doesn't take the shape of more material things, but it takes the form of his presence in your life. That you have a relationship with the one who made you and who saved you. The one who knows you better than anybody but who hasn't left. The one who has seen it all but isn't scared. The one who can give you purpose and direction and hope and a home forever that we have a God who calls us to this. But he's also a God who calls us to go or to send. To go or to send. We talked about on the first week, Lottie Moon, 
And uh, Thomas, my five-year-old, it's crazy, he's five now, but uh, Lottie Moon, uh, who is Marshall's aunt here, she, uh, Carmen Lytle, works in the student ministry offices, dressed up in this old-timey dress and came to the preschool ministry one Wednesday night as Lottie Moon. And I showed Thomas a picture on my phone of Lottie Moon. He said, that's not her. And <laughs> so Lottie Moon is Carmen Lytle. And so as we're going through, like it's so funny, we talked about Lottie Moon and her passion for taking the gospel to China and that she would be able to see the name of Jesus lifted up in that place. That she was one who was sent and one who listened to the call to go. Then the next week we talked about William Carey, the father of the modern missionary movement from England as he went to India. And as he was going there and as he was helping in word and in deed, temporal and eternal needs, sharing the gospel, and helping to right social injustices that were happening all around him. He was sent, and he obeyed the call to go. As we were talking about William Carey, there's one thing that a lot of people know about William Carey, but not a lot of people know about one of his best friends, Andrew Fuller. Now, Andrew Fuller, he was a guy like Carey. He was nurtured in like a theological context in England that was not... uh, really seeing eye to eye that we should go to the nations, that we should take this, we should undertake this huge evangelistic endeavor. But like William Carey, Andrew Fuller came to believe that every Christian was commanded to spread the gospel and some were called to do so across nation lines. And so it was really interesting, before leaving for India, William Carey famously told Andrew Fuller this, I will go down into the pit if you will hold the ropes. And so everybody should have gotten one of these little bad boys right here. And it's so funny because everybody was like, what are these? Is the seat saved? And I got so many like creative, you know, things being able to talk about like, Farrah, you probably took the cake for the most creative explanation uh, for why these things were there. And I, I love the level of intentionality that y'all think that I have. Uh, but no, it's just a rope. But, <laughs> but as we're going through, William Carey to Andrew Fuller, who, I mean, he was rocking the middle part before it was fashionable. And as he was going through, and Carrie said to him, I will go down into the pit. I will go across the seas. I will go to the nations. I will go to the dark places that don't know the name of Jesus. I will go down into the pit if you will hold the rope. And so for some, those who go or send or disobey, Those who go are the ones who go down into the pit. And the ones who send are the ones who are helping to hold the rope. And so this is something that I want each of you to be able to take with you tonight. And this is something that I would challenge you to keep with you for the remainder of the semester, possibly even longer. And in your daily time with the Lord, in the word and in prayer, Allow this to be to pray for our missionaries that are serving in the hard to reach places. That we are praying for those who are sowing the seed of the gospel widely and who often feel very lonely and frustrated at the lack of fruit that they're seeing.
that we, not just in our praying, but in our giving, before you press that give now button on online giving, or if you're old school and you write the check, or you bring the cash in the offering envelope, whatever it is that you do, that when you do those things that you remember you have, you hold on to this and that you are able to see and sense that you are helping to hold the rope for those that are going into the pit. We are supporting and helping to uphold those that are going into the hard to reach places, into the places where you can't (laughs) take two tunics and a large copper bag and different things like that that Jesus was talking about earlier in Matthew 10 but that we can help to support, we can help to uphold, we can hold the rope. Because you see, we can't do this alone. We were never intended to do this alone. We are called to Christ to be with him and to partner with him in his work in the world. And we have a message, y'all, that's worth sharing. And so for some of us, for some of you, the Lord will call you to go. Will you be obedient to that call? And for the rest of us who are in Christ, we have the call to send, to support, and the call. Because you see, this is the last blank for us that we'll fill in tonight. The king invites us. He invites us to work for his kingdom alongside a diverse group of brothers and sisters. Because of that, let's pray and let's get to work. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we pray that you would send out laborers into the harvest. And God, that you would use all of us to be able to send and to support and to help hold the rope. It's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Oxano podcast. If you want more information on the songs that we sing at Oxano, you can find us on Spotify at Oxano Songs We Sing. If you have more questions about what it means to follow Jesus or about next steps in following him, please email us at connect at dawsonchurch.org. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week.